Great job, fellas. Hey, good morning. My name is Ryan. I uh, direct the student ministries here. From time to time, I get the opportunity to share with you on the chapel. And uh, today is one of those days. So the New York Times crossword puzzle, I don't know if you, any of you are cross puzzle enthusiasts, but it is like the gold standard uh, for cruciverbalists, which is a, uh, a big old word that means people that love crossword puzzles. And it runs every week, and from Monday to Saturday, it gradually gets harder. Do any of you guys follow that? Do any of you guys do the crosswords in the New York Times? Okay, well, then this is going to go smashingly today, okay? Um, But it is hard, and it takes people anywhere from like an hour to a whole afternoon to do it, um, unless you're a guy named Dan Fire. And Fire is the reigning champion, an eight-time winner, I didn't know this existed, of the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament. And on average, the champion of that every year, it only takes them about five minutes to do that Saturday afternoon New York Times crossword puzzle. Um, So Dan's a super smart guy, and I know you guys are similar, right? We've got a lot of smart people in this crowd. So we're going to do a little fun crossword activity today um, from one of the most recent New York Times Saturday crossword puzzles. Okay, so it's up there behind us. Just yell it out if you know the answer, okay? So 24 across is a language of South Asia. 24 across, language of South Asia. It looks like six letters. Not everybody at once. <laughs> uh, Nepali. Nepali was the answer. I know it was on the tip of your tongues. Uh, 52 across. There it is down there in the bottom right corner. Um, is a... Uh, Bryophytic growth. Four letters, bryophytic growth. It's not mold. Close, though. Starts with the same letter. Moss. Nice. Somebody get them a sticker. Good job. (laughs) Moss. I didn't think anybody would get any of these. You guys are are smart. Good job. All right, next one. 23 down. It's a conflict that saw the sieges of Ladysmith and Kimberly. It's a big one there. Anybody? Okay, that is the Boer War. I don't know why I'm getting a smoke machine with this. <laughs> That's nice. Um, the Boer War, which was fought in Africa. And apparently it was a series of wars. Um, the last one, 43 down, a classic opera set in Cyprus. Classic opera set in Cyprus. Any opera buffs? Yeah, me neither. Okay. Um, that is Otello, without the H for some reason. Otello, O-T-E-L-L-O, different than Othello, okay? So those are tough, right? Like we have a room full of very smart, a lot of educated people in here, and we got one right, right? Um, I would have gotten zero right. On the other end of the spectrum, um, crossword puzzles that say I would do is the TV guide. <laughs> okay, so the TV guide will pop up there. And this one you should get, okay? 18 down, Jed Clampett's gold, Oil, right? Like three letters, it's great. Oil, there we go. Um, Well, sometimes we see the Bible like it is a New York Times Saturday afternoon crossword puzzle. Where we're like, man, it is really complicated. And you better have like a Bible degree to understand it. Um, And and I just don't always get what I read. And, And sometimes that can be true. If you're reading stuff about Judaic law or geography, you don't understand. Um, But the good news is, is that there's also a whole lot of the Bible that's really simple and easy to understand. And part of that is what we've been studying here in Proverbs. Um, 
in this uh, Word to the Wise series, that it is actually pretty easy to understand. And, and there's certain parts of the Bible that, like, you just get as you read. And that is how this series has been for me, who's a little simple-minded. It's been nice, because there's just really simple things to focus on. Um, but today, as we start, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Have any of you guys ever had an issue going on that everybody else knew about except for you? Like maybe you led a, uh, a lunch meeting at work, and you're sharing and presenting. You go to the bathroom, and you realize that you have a big old stalk of broccoli, like, stuck in your tooth. And you're like, how did I not feel that? Nobody told me. Um, or I still remember about 10 years ago, the first time I saw my bald head on camera. You know, I was sitting at uh, Christmas, and my father-in-law was filming, and, you know, I, we looked at it later, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going bald. Right? Like, I had no idea at the time. Like, how did I not feel that when I was shampooing? Um, but everybody else for months had been probably aware of that fact. Um, or I think of the, the summer after my senior year of high school, I went to a camp, and it was called Windy Gap. Uh, maybe some of you have been there, but it's in North Carolina, and I come home with this big old thick Windy Gap sweatshirt. It says Windy Gap, really big on it, okay? Um, and that night, there's a uh, festival going on. I grew up in Madeira. This is one of the local Catholic festivals. I head up there with my buddies. It's about 85 degrees, and I'm wearing this full-on sweatshirt, okay? Because I wanted to wear it. It was new. So about five minutes in, I'm like sweating like crazy, so I just take it off. Thankfully, for all involved, I got a t-shirt on. I tie it around my waist, okay? And me and my buddies, we just keep walking. So now you see where this is going already. Um, and, and you would walk by a group of girls, and you'd kind of look back to see if they're checking you out, and girls are snickering, which wasn't totally abnormal, because that happened to me. Um, but eventually, I asked my buddies who I'm with, I'm like, dudes, what is going on? Why are people laughing at me? You know, and I do the spin, and my buddy Greg is like, dies laughing. He's like, Ryan, you have a huge sign on your butt that says Windy Gap, right? Like, you're walking around advertising your Windy Gap, right? Like, so I, you know, take it off, turn it back the right way, inside out, put it back on all angrily. Um, but when we have an issue going on that everybody else can see but us, like, don't we want to know that we have that? Don't we want to know we're in it advertising a Windy Gap for all involved? Well, today, as we continue our journey through this series, we're, we're going to be looking at one of those issues that I think a lot of folks, myself included, aren't too quick to pick up on that they struggle with. Um, and that is the word pride, you know, and it's a loaded word um, for sure. And I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says a whole lot about pride, that if you do a quick kind of word search, that you can find over a hundred verses that deal with the topic of pride and humility um, very easily. Um, there's lots that we don't know what God thinks about. Like, is God more of like a gold star chili God or a skyline God? Like, I kind of lean towards skyline, but we may never know. Um, but on the topic of pride, he's really crystal clear. And, and when you look at those hundred verses, two major themes kind of come up over and over again regarding pride. Um, and, and he's not a fan of it. <laughs> so the first thing that comes up a lot is that he hates it. Okay, so in Proverbs um, 6.16, God's giving this list of things that he doesn't like. And at the very, very top of it is a proud look. So when we look at other people with condescension, condensation, no, that's it. I can't think of it. Whatever that C word is. When we look at people um, in a negative way, um, God doesn't like it. And the second thing it says that he feels about pride is that he resists it or opposes it. So James 4.6 tells us that God is going to resist pride in us. Other uh, translations of that word say oppose. 
that God is going to oppose the pride in us. And I don't want to be on that side of the relationship with God where like something in my life that he doesn't like and he's going to oppose, right? I've got enough against me. (laughs) Um, But what's tough about pride is it's hard to self-diagnose. That we can go years to decades with it being in our life without even really knowing it. That I always think of pride like bad breath. That like you probably have no idea you have it, but everybody else figures it out the moment you open your mouth, right? They're like, oh yeah, (laughs) he's very prideful. I get that. Um, I still remember in college um, sitting down with one of my mentors named Rick. And he had been um, speaking in my life for a while, so I trusted him. But we're talking, and eventually he's like, hey, um, I need to tell you something. It's kind of hard. But you are very prideful. And I was like, is there another Ryan at the table? Because I'm not prideful. Like, you have an ugly face, right? Like, I am not prideful, Rick. Like, I am the least prideful person on earth. I don't think I'm, you know, and I just go off. That I'm not better than other people. I actually have low self-esteem, Rick, if you didn't know that. So thanks for that. Um, And he begins to lovingly unpack for me that, like, hey, pride isn't just thinking that, like, you are the cat's pajamas, if you will, that you are just it. Um, it, It's really this essence of just thinking of yourself way too much and sort of putting yourself before the needs of everybody else. And he slowly unpacked some of the symptoms that he saw in my life, and I had to agree with him that I was like, oh, my goodness, you are right. So if you're like me and sometimes you need a little help figuring out things going on in your life, uh, I can't take you all to Boston Market where I met with Rick. I don't even think that restaurant exists anymore. Um, but I am going to offer you a complimentary pride screening, okay? You didn't know you were going to get one of those today, did you? Uh, so we're going to look at four quick questions, kind of a la Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck style. Um, just to self-diagnose yourself, okay? So the first one is you might struggle with pride, if you would answer yes to the question, am I humble? <laughs> right? Like a, a major disqualifier of humility is claiming it. Right? Like I've sat in meetings where people are like, I'm really humble. And I'm like, I'm not believing anything else you say after that sentence. Because um, that's not true. Or you might struggle with pride if you would rather get a root canal with a butter knife than say the three simple words, I am sorry. <laughs> right? Not the ugly cousins of I am sorry, the uh, I am sorry you're upset, or I am sorry you're dumb. Um, (laughs) But just the three words, I am sorry, right? For some of us, it takes threat of divorce or legal action for those words to come out of our mouth. Or you might struggle with pride if at the 10 items or less line at Kroger's, you're one of those meticulous counters of items, you know, and you're like, that guy in front of me has 11 items. Like, should I, like, call the manager, the police? Like, he needs to be removed from his wife and children because he's got Ritz crackers that puts him at 11, right? But then the next day when you're in a hurry and you got 16, 17 items, you're like, well, I'm in a hurry. (laughs) You know, and you jump into that line without a second thought. And then the last one, which hopefully qualifies all of us, or else we need to call 911. If you have a pulse, (laughs) you might struggle with pride. That in reality, pride is in all of us, and the seeds of it are there. And we sort of have a choice whether we let them lay dormant or we water them. But just like our blood pressure or cholesterol, it's something we're going to have to keep our eyes on our whole lives. So to to help us explore that today, we're going to look at the three what's and the one why of pride. So we're going to look at, well, what is pride? We're going to talk about, well, what's the danger we're going to talk about um, why does God hate it? That's kind of a strong um, word. And, and then what can we do about it? 
So what is pride? I want to make sure we're all talking about the same thing, because it's a pretty loaded question in 2019. We're not going to talk about anything political. Amen, right? We don't want to talk about that. Um, We're not even talking about appropriate pride, where it's like the pride you feel when your son or daughter walks across the stage at graduation or down the aisle when they get married, um, or even the the good self-pride after a long week or long day of work, where you look back and you're like, man, I gave it my all for my employees today or for my boss or for my customers, right? Like that's kind of appropriate pride. We're really going to talk about this word um, that I would call hubris, where like pride starts to go from appropriate to toxic. And it's really sort of hard to define when that happens. But what I would say is that you always know it when you see it, that we are so much better at seeing it in other people, and we see it right away, but in ourselves, not so quickly. So today I'm going to bring out a friend of mine, actually two for a moment, um, and they're going to kind of help us think about pride, take the the focus off of us completely. Um, So you got Kenny, who you know. Kenny will be gone here shortly, unfortunately. Um, And then you have my friend Larry C., okay? So Kenny, I'm going to go against Todd and move Larry C. a little closer to me. Todd can reprimand me later. Can you guys still see Larry C. over there? All right, perfect. Uh, Well, Larry C. obviously looks really happy to be here, right? (laughs) He's a happy guy. Um, And Larry C. is a religious leader. So he's kind of like me or Chad or Drew or others. He's a pastor. And I've actually kind of brought him to the future. So he lives in 32, 33 AD. And uh, his job title is really Pharisee. And he is Larry C. the Pharisee. Okay, so he's going to help us deflect a little bit as we explore pride. Um, And I'm going to give you just a quick window into what a typical day in Larry's life might have looked like. So this is out of a book in the Bible called Luke. Um, And it says this, verse 10 on, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, there's Larry, and the other a tax collector. Okay, and we'll put the tax collector over there. Larry's looking at him very unhappily right now. And the tax collectors, as we've talked about before, were sort of like traitors. They were uh, Jewish citizens who worked for the Romans and and collected taxes from the Romans. Um, But then they took way too much. So they were really hated Uh, members of the community. So both of these guys are at prayer together. And it says the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Just imagine this happening in real life. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like all these other men. (laughs) Bunch of losers, right? You got extortioners, you got unjust, you got adulterers, or, or even this tax collector. Right? Like, just imagine somebody saying this out loud and pointing at somebody. I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. I'm really good, God. That's what he's saying. And you hear that and you're like, yikes. Like, I would never say that, right? Like, this guy's got issues. He needs some counseling. There's a lot going on there. Um, but before we're too quick to judge him, I would love to think through maybe what is the, uh, the roots of what would cause an action like that or, or, to, or cause him to do that? Um, Because I think we'll find that they're a little more familiar than we would like to imagine. So to do that, we're going to look at this book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, which is just simply wisdom from a father to a son type wisdom, just being passed down. And today there's two verses in the book of Proverbs chapter 21 that we'll look at. And there's going to be some interesting words that we'll learn, okay? So Proverbs 21.4 says this. It says, A haughty look, so haughty with a G-H, not what you'd say about your spouse, a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Learning some words here about what pride is. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-four. 
a proud and haughty man, there's haughty again, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. So there's four, four words we're going to look at here with Larry that are kind of adjectives for his life. And uh, visual aids are always interesting, but we're going to try one, see if this works. Um, so the first one is that word haughty, right? That Larry is a haughty in a bad way. Uh, haughty means disdainfully proud, snobbish, scornfully arrogant, or supercilious. And we may say to ourselves, like, I am never like that, right? Like, I am never um, snobbish or proud. I don't look down on other people um, unless I'm at, like, Walmart or Kings Island or, you know, places where people are different than me and they dress different than me and they listen to different kind of music than me. Um, but I'm still not going to say it out loud like Larry. I'm just going to think it, right? Um, well, I, I, I might be a little more like Larry C. than I'd like to admit. Um, the second word we learn from these verses is the word proud or pride. Here we go with the, uh, the fun visual aids. These are going to hang very poorly. Um, but Larry struggles with pride. And the word um, pride is defined as feeling pleasure or satisfaction over something regarded as highly honorable or creditable, creditable to oneself. And I have to be honest that far too often I take credit for far too much in my life. That in my vocabulary daily I use the words I, me, and my far too often. When I look back at the story of my life, I put myself as the hero far too often. Um, I'm guessing most of you are aware, but this, is, this week is the 50th anniversary of the landing on the moon, right? We've been hearing all about it, which is really cool. And our very own Neil Armstrong um, from Ohio was the first man to, you know, put his, his foot on the, the crust of the moon, which is just awesome and impressive. You know, and when you would hear interviews with him, how easy would it have been for him to just be prideful, right? And be like, I am the first human. I mean, just imagine that. You're the first human to do anything ever. Um, But when you hear the interviews, he points back to the team over and over again that, in fact, it took over 400,000 people over 10 years after President Kennedy said, hey, we want to get to the moon in 10 years. 400,000 people were part of that one step um, onto the surface of the moon. That Neil got that very few things in life happen as a result of just ourselves. The third word is scoffer which is to speak derisively, mock, or jeer, okay? That one's, yeah, it's just not even going to hang. All right, that says scoffer. Use your imagination. We wrote that in invisible ink. Uh, and, and you may say, hey, Ryan, I never speak derisively. I never scoff and jeer at people. I don't even like conflict, um, at least not in front of people, right? You're not talking about talking behind their back, are you? I don't Oh, well, that's a whole different thing. I might do that. Um, Or you're not talking about my social media, are you? Because I kind of do make fun of people that I disagree with and mock and jeer them and post things. And I do do that, actually, right? So when you you start to look at these words, you start to say, hey, I am a little more like Larry C. than I would like to admit um, that it could be Ryan C., the Pharisee, if I'm being really honest. And the last word, which I'm not going to try to pull around his neck because it will not work, is arrogant. And arrogance is making claims or pretensions to superior importance or rights. And from that definition um, and that word out of Scripture, we're really going to get the two heart conditions of pride. That the first heart condition is um, making claims of importance. That I am important, right? 
They're like, I am the man. Like, thank you all for just being in my presence, right? Um, and we see those people, right? And they are the spotlight shiners. Where they are like, hey, everybody, look at me, you know? And they're just like, check me out. Like, I'm here. Woo, you're welcome, right? Um, fellas, at the gym, this is the guy that's doing like the curls for the girls, you know? And he's like kissing his biceps in the mirror, you know, and just, he's got, always got that, like, smoldering look on his face while he's lifting. Um, or, or ladies, maybe when you go to, like, yoga or Pilates, it's like the homecoming queen lady who comes, and she's dressed like she's going to the prom, and you're like, how's she going to do yoga in high heels? Like, how is this even going to work, right? Um, that the, the first heart condition of pride is the, I'm important. Look at me. Check me out. And, and you may say, hey, well, I don't struggle with that, because I'm you know, maybe I'm 20 pounds overweight, I got no hair, little hair. I don't think I'm that awesome on the outside, right? I don't wake up thinking, man, man Becky is lucky. She gets to wake up next to this every day. Right? Like I, I don't wake up thinking that. Um, but there, there's two things at play here with pride. There's kind of the, the internal stuff that we see in those verses where it talks about the, uh, an evil heart um, and a, a proud name. There's this internal source of pride where it's like, my very DNA is better than you. My face, my biceps, my name, where I'm from, I'm just better. But then in those two verses, we see an external play of pride too, where it talks about the way that the guy plows is even evil. That he's looking at his neighbor being like, I plow better than you. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Um, Or the way that he acts is evil. It's full of pride. So for some of us, the look at me pride isn't the, uh, hey, I'm so beautiful, look at me doing my biceps. It's the, hey, look at me, I'm so good at what I do. I'm so smart, right? Like everybody in the office comes to me because I'm just amazing. Um, Or I crush a golf ball, fellas, right? Like um, the guy that stands there after he hits it and just watches it, you're like, I want to go kick him or something. Um, (laughs) That look at me pride plays itself out in, in multiple ways. In the second heart condition we get from that um, definition of arrogance is that we claim superior rights. That when we're arrogant, think about it, it makes sense. If I'm better than you because I'm beautiful or I'm from here or whatever, or I'm better than you because I'm just smarter than you, well, then my rights become more important than yours. So if I need to jump into the 10 items or less line with 16 items, so be it, right? Because I'm better than you. And that looks more like this, where you begin to magnify your own needs, right? And you're like, my needs are greater than your needs, you know? And you're, you're constantly walking around with a magnifying glass of life. But it doesn't come without a cost. That pride is dangerous. And that's why we're talking about it. And there's a few ways I'll throw this out to you that it's dangerous. The first one is that pride causes amnesia that it causes you to forget how you got from point A to point B in your life. That those 400,000 people that helped you get from, you know, earth to the moon of your life where you're at now, you sort of start to forget that, right? And you start to forget all the chances that just, you just lucked out. I would say where God's moved in my life, maybe I'll forget that. Um, and I start to think it's all about just Ryan. I forget when we were in South Carolina, my boss was in Charlotte. And Charlotte's a city pretty similar to Cincinnati. It's large, um, a lot going on. Um, and, and while we were there, a guy became mayor that was just a, a rock star. And, and his name was Patrick Cannon. And Patrick grew up in Charlotte. He grew up in the projects of Charlotte. 
His father was murdered at a young age. So he grew up with a single mother, surrounded by gangs. Um, and he rises above it, okay? He stays in school. He doesn't join the gangs. He doesn't fall into the traps that were in front of him. He goes to college. He gets a degree. And he comes back to Charlotte, the hometown. And he's kind of the golden child. He, he's the youngest city council member ever in Charlotte. And for about a decade, he is just a man of the people. He fights for the rights of guys like Patrick, right? And he's a rising star politically. And then he actually rises to become mayor of Charlotte, this massive major city in our country. And he's one of the youngest mayors in the country. But with that rise, something starts to happen. Like his lifestyle starts to change. Um, People know how much the mayor makes. It's pretty much public record. They know what family he came from. He doesn't have a a hedge fund somewhere. And, And he starts living in an extravagant way, way beyond his means. And it starts drawing some questions. So the FBI comes in, sets up a sting, and they figure out that Patrick is taking bribes left and right. And they charge him with racketeering and bribery and all kinds of things. And he winds up falling, and quite literally. Like it's all over. They know he's been convicted, and as he's coming to the jailhouse to kind of give himself up to be um, incarcerated, all the cameras are on him, and he literally trips and falls on his face as he's walking to prison. And the people are like, that is so apropos, right? Like, that is just the visual of what happened to him. He forgot where he came from. He forgot what got him there, and he stumbled and fell. I don't know if you've heard of this, but there's a thing called hubris syndrome. And there's a doctor, uh, Dr. Dashir Keltner, who's a psychology professor at UC Berkeley, um, He did this two-decade study of CEOs and VPs and people kind of C-level leaders. um, And he wanted to know if if leadership and uh, power had any effect on them overall. So he called it the influence of power, which I love. It's like influence of drugs or alcohol, influence of power. And he found in studies that they acted as if they had suffered a traumatic brain injury, becoming more impulsive, less risk-aware, and crucially, less adept at seeing things from other people's points of view. Man, is that Patrick Cannon, right? This guy has the hubris syndrome textbook that he rises to power. He rises to having authority. And all of a sudden, it's like his brain just stops working the way it used to. For us, I would say, well, where in my life do I struggle with hubris syndrome? Okay, I'm not a CEO or C-level, I'm a youth pastor, um, but I still have authority, right? Like I still have authority in my family. We have a team of 10 to 12 folks here um, that I help to lead. So where in my life do I have hubris syndrome that I'm forgetting how to empathize with people, that I'm acting crazy, drunk on power? The second danger of pride is that it's deceptive. It simply just lies to us. I don't know if any of you guys watched 48 Hours ever. My wife and I were watching that. And, you know, the episode starts. They find a woman dead. It's tragic. It's horrible. 30 seconds in, you're like, it's the husband, right? Like, you just know it. Um, and, and the show plays out, and it's like the husband's having three affairs. He tells everybody at work that he knows how to hide a body. You know, he goes to Walmart. He buys a shovel. On his phone, there's searches for how to kill my wife, right? Like, it's so clear that he's going to get caught. And the whole time, you're like, this guy's an idiot. How is he not realizing they're never going to look at me. I'm just the husband, right? Well, no. Like the whole time he's being deceived by pride. 
He's saying, well, I'm smarter than the authorities. I'm going to trick them. They'll never catch me. That pride is deceiving. There's a book in the Bible called Obadiah. Next name for one of your kids. Um, And it's a prophet. And he's talking to Israel. God is talking through Obadiah to Israel. And he says this, Obadiah 1, 2 through 3, he says, Hey, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. So again, there's that idea of God is going to resist and oppose the pride in our lives. That we get to a point in our life where we feel sort of untouchable, right? Like, hey, I've attained it. I'm there. Like, nothing can bring me down. And God is saying, oh, no. <laughs> Just wait. Uh, it's going to happen. Because what God knows is that pride is a recipe for failure. The same way we cook chocolate chip cookies with a certain recipe, failure has the recipe of pride. And in Proverbs 16, 18, it says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That literally pride is the step before you fall on your face is what that's saying. And in rhyming easy to remember language, if I'm not humble, I'm going to stumble, right? Like where I'm not humble in my life, I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall on my face. And we see this every day around us, Right? Like, i got to throw out some names, and you'll know it right away. Like Weinstein, Epstein, Lauer, Cosby, Kraft, Spacey, Hybels, right? These people had amazing power in the world. Secular, political movie stars and mega pastor, and they fall on their face. And I promise you, they never thought it was going to happen, right? They never thought it was going to happen because they were blinded to it. They were deceived by it. So when we think of the why, why does God feel so strongly about this? I I think the most easy reason to understand is that he knows it hurts us. So in the same way, if I'm watching my four-year-old play with a loaded gun or pair of scissors, or I'm going to be like, hey, I hate that, and I'm going to oppose that. I'm going to take that from him. Um, God looks at us with the pride in our life and says the same thing. He says, hey, that's going to hurt Ryan. So I'm going to help him kind of weed that out. I'm going to put a rick in his life that when he's sitting at lunch is going to say, hey, you're very prideful to help point the flashlight on that. Um, So it hurts us, and he doesn't want that. But the second reason, which is a little harder to understand perhaps, is that really God is the only one worthy of worship. That what pride is, is pride is putting yourself on the throne of your life and saying, hey, it's all about Ryan, right? Like for whatever reason, either I'm beautiful or I'm better than people at this, my rights are very important, and I become the son of which my life revolves around, right? Um, well, I wasn't created to be that. You know, not only is it not giving God credit, but it, it also is too big of a burden for me to carry because I fail, right? I'm weak. I stumble. I struggle. If I become the God of my life, that's a far less than experience than having God be the God of my life who doesn't change, who doesn't stumble, who doesn't fail, So that's why God feels so strongly about it. Because it will impact our life negatively when we become gods of our own life. So what can we do about it? Here's the the applicable part that I'd love to throw out to you in our final couple minutes here. Um, The the first thought is just, in the same way it says that the plowing is even evil in your life, 
um, in Proverbs 21.4, I would throw out this idea, we need to plow pride out of our life. That you're going to have to be intentional. It's not going to just magically disappear. You're going to have to take action. So the, the first thing I would encourage you to do is to stop plagiarizing your past. That for a few years I was a history major at UC, and the cardinal sin was plagiarism, right? Like you never could take another historian's view of something and write it word for word or even close to that. Um, you had to at least give them credit and cite them. Well, so often with my life, I plagiarize my past. And I look back and I don't give credit um, where credit is due. And I don't give credit to the fact that in some ways I just won the birth lottery. Being born in America and Madeira, Ohio, to a family that could take care of me. I had nothing to do with that. I just got a leg up out of the gate. It was just the birth lottery. I can't take credit for that. So stop taking credit for things in your life that you, you don't deserve credit for. Um, the second thing when it comes to your actions is to stop looking in the funhouse mirror. Like, I love those funhouse mirrors because when you look at them a certain way, it takes off like 40 pounds. And you're like, hey, there's my 16-year-old self. Like, good to see you. Um, well, we do that with our actions, right? That we look at the way we live our lives and we're, we're looking at them in the, the curves of the funhouse mirror. That when I look at you all and the people in my lives, I judge you based on just what you do. But when I look at me, I want to be judged on, well, what did I mean to do? What were my motivations? What were the factors that maybe made that go badly? Right? Like I have these rose-colored glasses on all the time when I look at Ryan um, that I don't with other people. So I've got to stop doing that. I've got to call it how it is. And then what would it look like to shine the spotlight onto others? Right? Like here's a real, I won't blind any of you guys, but um, what would it look like to instead of doing this, start shining it on like the guy in the back there? <laughs> you know? Where it's like, that's an applicable step you can do. Where you can begin to to take it off of you and shine it onto somebody else, right? An employee of yours, a friend of yours, one of your children. What would it be like to start magnifying the needs of other people? To not be, hey, me first, but me second, me third, me fifth. It's hard. It takes like intentional action to do that because you're going to default to me first. I default to me first for sure. But the hope is in the end of this story. So we're going to join back up with Larry C. And uh, our friend, the tax collector. And we're going to get the tax collector's um, side of the story. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. God, thank you for today. Thank you um, just that you give us your word, which is wise and it helps us with our lives. Um, I pray for myself that you would help me to see the pride in my life and to root it out. Um, I pray that I wouldn't fall on my face. Um, pray that I wouldn't be deceived, that I wouldn't believe the lies of pride. Um, your name, amen. All right. Well, hey, I wanted to thank you for being here. A couple of last comments. Um, if you have never joined us for Kaboom, which is a, uh, in August 17th, it's a celebration of the New Year of Ministry. It is amazing. It's out over the pond. Um, Rosy Fireworks comes in. We do a huge ice cream buffet. Um, last year we had about 1,000 people. It was a ton of fun. You were invited to that. It's for anybody here. Bring friends with you. Uh, bring a lawn chair, something to sit on. Tickets for that are complimentary. They're in the atrium. 
And we really do tickets just so we know how many people to expect with ice cream and, and things like that. Um, the last thing I'd say is if you ever want to talk to somebody about life or Horizon or anything, um, you can always stop by the hearth room, which is the third door on the left. Um, so have a great Sunday. Thanks for being here. Thank you.